welcome. Uh, I'm very excited to be here today, and, and I'm honored and thankful once again that you would take time out of your day to listen to the message that we have for you uh, from the book of James. <clears throat> Through James, we've been looking at, we've titled our series, Snapshots of True Faith, and we've been looking at how James describes the true faith of a Christian, how in different angles of life, whether big or small, uh, we see how we live out our true faith uh, to the one true God. And in James, we've seen that uh, through areas of, right now? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going. Thank you. So um, uh, I'm sure you're probably curious uh, what it was that he was saying to me. Um, undoubtedly, even if it's just a small amount of curiosity, you're probably wondering what words were just said. And um, I think it's because we understand the power of words, um, how depending on what he, what Josh just said to me, could influence uh, what's coming up. Um, now that was completely staged, I'll be honest with you. So I, I posed that intentionally to point to uh, where James is taking us because James is showing us how powerful words are and how they can direct our entire lives. Because James says that true faith is lived out, that we live out what we've been given in all aspects of life, including our speech. Um, now, it may not influence you dramatically, but depending on the words said, it could determine your future in a lot of ways. What he said was not that important to me. Um, it was just a, a Chick-fil-A order. So uh, if you wanna know what Josh wants, uh, you can ask me. Um, but as we look into James chapter three, James intends to descriptively point out how our very words determine the outcome of our entire lives. And that if we're honest with ourselves here, that we diminish or we downplay the power of our words um, and we allow our tongues to rule us to the point of death. And James draws from his brother Jesus' teaching to sew together his explanation of how our speech actually reveals what's going on inside of our hearts, which is our true selves. Out of our hearts, our mouth speaks, all to eventually invite us into a, a better choice, uh, something better with our words, how meekness and wisdom from God actually allows us to control our tongues by the power of of the Holy Spirit, where we can actually speak life rather than destruction. So if you have your Bibles, if you could uh, turn with me to James chapter three, uh, we'll have the words on the screen as well. But before we do that, will you pray with me? Father God, we uh, come to you. Um, we are looking to your words this moment to guide us, uh, to bring about life, to refresh us, God. I pray that by your mercy, you would bring that that through your word, you begin to do a work in our hearts uh, wherever we are watching this and listening to this, God. God, we trust you. We trust this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in your Bibles, in, in James chapter three, I'm gonna start just with the first two verses. Uh, and this is what it says. Follow along with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a stricter uh, judgment from God. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone who does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
Um, I'll be honest, reading James and uh, listening to the sermons on James uh, from Jared and other pastors and reading books um, has never once left me blameless. Uh, Every time I read it, I find myself falling short of what James calls true faith. And I think that um, a lot of times, if, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're watching this, there's this thought process that once you're a Christian, you obey God's word perfectly, and it, and it comes with ease to follow what God says in the Bible, or, or you have to be able to do it before you even come to the Bible, but I'll tell you, it's, it's not true. Um, and it's at these moments that I realize how much more I actually need to grow in my own faith, and uh, James takes his gloves off, and, and I, I ask that if you're watching this right now, that you would um, have an open mind and an open heart uh, to what uh, God's word says and that you would allow it to actually work on you as you listen and read along with it. And lest we think that we can read the Bible and only find how we're doing well in life, uh, James opens up and refers to us as brethren or brothers and sisters. Uh, So there's this inclusion. Uh, We're all in this together when it comes to speech. Uh, There's not one who who is innocent in regards to this. And he says, brothers and sisters, and when we're in the Christian light, as a, as a Christian, we're brought into a spiritual family where we are brothers and sisters. And he says to these brothers and sisters, a, a warning of not many of you should be teachers. He starts from the top down. He actually speaks to preachers and teachers of the Bible like myself. And it's actually this verse in particular that causes me to walk with trepidation before I come uh, and preach or teach from the Bible because I understand how much weight is on this as pastors and preachers, we have a divine responsibility to bring forth God's word with, with honesty, uh, with clarity, and point to God and what he actually intends with his word. Many preachers, I think, have taken God's word and, and have misused it and misquoted it and, and treated it um, just flippantly. You can imagine someone who is misquoted in an article of a, of a magazine or a paper, how frustrating that would be. They feel misrepresented. Can you imagine the one that created speech, that created the mouth, that has written this word to bring about life, to, to have someone misuse it or just ignore it altogether when they say they're teaching the Bible? His judgment falls upon them. I can't think of anything more discouraging either than a, than a preacher who would preach one thing and live something different, that they would, they would preach holiness and obedience to their people, but yet would live a life that is very different from that. And maybe some of you have experienced that before, that you've been hurt by the church. Uh, I just want to encourage you that God intends to bring judgment on those that have done things like that, whether it was to you or to a loved one. Um, His vengeance is coming on that. We need not lean anything against those people. If God's hammer is coming down upon them for what they've done on this earth, then what good would it be for us to add to that? We need not. So I encourage you, let go of maybe some bitterness that you might be holding on to if that's happened to you and know that God is actually coming to take care of that himself. All preachers and pastors, we're we're accountable before those uh, who we teach. And he does, he goes on to say, he's like, this is because many of us, we stumble in many ways. And, and, and because we stumble, not many should teach. 
But James speaks of one who has actually been able to perfect, to walk in perfection, able to, to perfect his tongue and control it and not stumble in speaking. And this isn't somebody who has everything and never sinned, but this is actually echoing chapter one when it talks about maturity, one who's been brought through in perseverance through trials that have been refined by God and matured in God and no longer give in to the tongue's unruly control, but rather submit to the spirit and speak words of life. One who is mature in their faith. I guess the question I have for you is, do you pray for your pastor in this way? Do you, do you pray for your teachers of the Bible in this way? That you pray that, that their tongues would be controlled by God, that they would submit to God and speak words of life rather than death and destruction, that they would guard their mouths and they would use their time with sobriety and fear before God when they preach his word and teach it. May we often pray for our ministers. James then moves on to offer some illustration to support his teaching. He, he, he paints these pictures, and if you'll follow with me, we're gonna uh, read James chapter three, verses three through 12. Uh, this is what it says. If we put bits into the mouths of the horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of our life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James starts out with some positive examples, um, a horse and a ship, and, and he speaks about these things. And you can imagine a horse is a massive and intimidating creature. If you've ever been around when they're, they're huge and they're powerful and they can trample and hurt um, us as humans, but yet a small piece of metal in their mouth controls that animal. And so it is with a ship. You can imagine something like a U.S. Uh, aircraft carrier, 91,000 tons, and it carries 100 aircrafts. And something that is one-tenth of its size can direct and control that massive ship, whether it be to uh, direct it into safety around things in the sea or to crash it into a, another ship or, or the shoreline. It controls something massive. So it is with the tongue. Something that is small in stature compared to the rest of the body can control us and drive us and direct uh, our lives. And James moves forward uh, from there, from positive examples to what I think we know more familiar with speech is the, the negative, uh, what comes with speech. Um, and this is what he says. He offers a number of metaphors that, that I want to re reiterate here. Um, and this is what he says. He says that uh, in the mouth, what's going on with our mouths is like it's boasting. It boasts of great things. 
It's a fire starter. It's, it's not just something that is a flame itself, but it's actually a flame that causes more destruction and more fire to spread. It's a wildfire, the tongue is. It says it's a world of iniquity. And this idea is that it, it's, it's stating that this is the reality of our sin. If you're curious if sin is real, look how people speak. And, it, and if you're not a follower of Christ, something like this verse, I would encourage you to look at it. If you're curious if the Bible is true when it talks about sin, just look at how we speak to one another. It wouldn't take long, I would imagine, on social media to find the tongue proving that sin exists in this world and evil and hate. And, and the, the mouth itself actually is something that, that defiles us. It's not something that just affects those around us. It actually affects us. It stains us personally. So you, you don't get away unscathed from what your mouth actually says. It determines, let's see, determines the outcome of our lives. It's uncontrollable. It's a nonstop evil. It's filled with poison. The tongue carries the very tone of hell and fallen nature. And I believe that this is the most revealing is that the tongue is duplicitous in its nature. That it's double-minded. How in one moment we can bless and in the next moment we curse. How we can give lip service where we smile and we approve and we love, but then the next moment begin to curse. It's this idea of, of living a, a double life or more commonly put, um, being two-faced. And, and I include myself in this. I, I don't know how we can spend Sunday mornings or, or worship gatherings with other believers where we have our hands raised in the air, praising God for his love and his mercy and his goodness and his truth. And we pray with one another side by side and we share communion with one another. And yet we can leave those moments and, and, and within minutes begin to find ways to critique or tear down Maybe it looks like we, we audit uh, the sermon and how it was delivered or, or the words that were said. Or maybe it is that we begin to, to complain and, and critique about the servant team and how they handled something. It's like within a moment we just switch gears and we're able to, to be discouraged and to tear down others with complaining. Or worse yet, that we would hear the truth of God and deem it irrelevant on Monday. That we could say, amen, that is so true. And then on Monday, it's like it was never agreed with. Is this, is this resonating? Is this true uh, for you today? Like if, if I could just, just shepherd for a moment, we're, we're getting ready to enter into acclimating um, a, a new uh, climate, a new normal, whatever you want to call it. We're going to be coming back together in person. And, and we're getting past the, the safety and the security of a computer screen where we can just sling and hurl insults and ideas and hate speech towards people that we disagree with or about people that we disagree with. And in fact, some of these people that we disagree with, we may be sitting next to in the near future. I ask you, are you living today with your speech like there will be a tomorrow that we're gonna be together? Do we hold our celebrated freedom of speech above the very law of God? It's the only lasting law. James says it ought not be so. 
And then James moves our eyes to realize that this outward behavior is actually indicative of the heart, what's actually going on in the heart. You see, the product is always a result of its source. What is in here comes out of the mouth. In fact, this is, this is honing in on what Jesus was talking about here, where Jesus was talking about the fruit from trees. And James even says that figs come from fig trees. You know, fresh water comes from fresh water. Apples do not grow on pear trees. It just doesn't happen. And so it is with our speech. Hate coming out of our mouth and tearing down and boasting. These are things that do not come out of a changed heart of a Christian. This harkens back to Jesus' teaching in, in, in Matthew 12. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 12. We're gonna look at verse, uh, I, think, I think starting in verse 35. This is what it says. It says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. This is so much more than just a, a broken relationship. This is so much more than, than breaking and, and breaking a relationship with somebody you don't like, which is bad enough in itself. This has eternal value. Our words hold our eternity in their hands. Our eternity is revealed by our speech. Our tongues reveal exactly how much grace we've been given. So are justified or condemned by our words. Moving on, James, he transitions to give us a resolve, but at the same time, he weaves in and he gets to this idea of like what is actually going on in our hearts. He gets to the root issue with our speech. If, if all these things that we do with our mouths of, of boasting and, and, and hurting others with our words is the fruit, then he wants to get to the root to help us understand it. But at the same time, he, he weaves in uh, a solution or resolve for the issue that we have with our speech. And so following along, uh, James 13 through 16, this is what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is just sharp language. He doesn't hold back. James, point, James points again to this idea of like Christians that have true faith, we have a posture of humility. You could say true faith has humility. As a, as a Christian, that's where we start because grace always rolls downhill. That's the way it works with God. If you wanna control your tongue, then what he says here is seek wisdom and your lack of it. Just like in chapter one, we bring our lack to God and God generously gives us wisdom. If you wanna control your tongue, you need to humble yourself and ask God for help. Grace rolls downhill. And this wisdom that we get from God is not just intellectual. It's not just a comprehension and understanding, but rather it's actually lived out. We show our meekness and wisdom, it says. We show it in our deeds and our actions and in our speech. To do otherwise would be contrary to the truth. He speaks of, of, of earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom that stems from selfish ambition in our hearts. And I don't think that there's anything that could diminish what Christ has done for us than for us to boast 
or maybe make excuses for our sins and our words. It's saying that, you know what? Jesus and his righteousness that I get from him, that crown, that is good, but let me tell you a little bit more about myself because I have more that I can bring to the table. It's Jesus plus you name it. It's this, it's this pouring out, this, this desire for self-righteousness, this desire, this selfish ambition for, for self-justification that Jesus is not enough that I have to actually lift myself up and tear you down with my words and what I say. Once again, if our tongues reveal just how much grace we've been given to make defense or excuses for ourselves, downplays the perfect righteousness that we've received in Christ. To boast about anything other than Christ and what he has done for him is a blatant denial of the truth that lives within you as a Christian. It's to deny the testimony that you actually have. It's a pursuit of self-righteousness. And that definitely sounds earthly and demonic and natural. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to think that you have something to offer when it comes to righteousness before God that is gonna actually make a difference when it comes to judgment day. That is why it's so good that he provided Christ for us because he says Christ will cover it all. He will cover that debt. You bring nothing. You don't have to bring nothing. I know that's a good thing. That's a good gifted thing that you have. I gave it to you. Let me tell you what Christ has is better. Let me explain with a story, perhaps. So last year in January, um, we invited a guy from a Christian organization called Lead 222 to do some training for our volunteer leaders and student ministry. And his plan was to fly in from the Twin Cities to D.C. uh, with his son, and then I was going to pick him up in Culpeper because he was going to take the train from D.C. to Culpeper not that important, but I was driving my truck at the time, and inside of my truck, the blinker light was either going out or it was out. And I don't know if you're familiar with the sound that it makes when your blinker is going out, but when you turn your blinker on, it doesn't just go click, click, click. It actually goes click, 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 click. And I remember driving to the train station thinking like, oh, no. Oh, no, what if he... What if he thinks that I don't know about this blinker? What if he thinks that I'm not mechanical? What if he thinks I'm not man enough that I can't even change my own blinker bulb? What if... And all of a sudden, there was just this bubbling desire to make like a, a defense or a boast about myself of being like, you know, like if he gets in the car, I'd be like, oh, you hear that? I hear it too. It's okay. I know about it. I know how to change it. I can go get it. I just haven't got it. You know what I'm talking about? And luckily, as we sat in the car, I just kept my mouth shut. And it seemed like we took every left turn possible from the train station to my house. Um, and he didn't say anything either. But it just bubbling up inside of me, this desire to have like this blinker righteousness. Where does that even come from? Why did I have to feel like I had to add that to what God has done for me in Christ? It's absurd. And let me explain it maybe in a different way with a little bit of a sadder story for me. Um, I know there's a lot of stories, but follow with me. I was reading a, a newspaper article from a local paper and um, the way that self-righteousness like, gets its way in is, is really, really wicked. Um, I'm reading the title, and I, and I read it, and I, and I felt like the title was very unloving. Um, and as I was talking to a friend of mine about it, I was like, did you see this? This is what it said. And then, I, th- then these words came out of my mouth. I can't believe that they wrote that. And it was just that one word, they, that showed my heart. 
It was like with that phrase, I wanted to demonize these people who are made in the image of God. I, they, them over there, not me. I, they are less than me. Let me tell you something. I would have worded it this way. Have you heard how righteous I actually am? I can't believe that they wrote that. And a better way to maybe say it would be, I can't believe that we wrote that. If we're all made in the image of God, if we all reflect God, then wouldn't that be a better way to say it? Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever say they when referring to people, but I knew, I was convicted, I knew my own heart with it. How are you, how are you doing with this? Let me, let me turn the corner to hope. There's something better we can do with our speaking, James says. Uh, we, we can seek wisdom from above, perfect wisdom. And this is what it says in, in James chapter 3, 17 and 18. And that's a quote. It's okay. I'm gonna, oh, there it is. Thank you. Mountain View's awesome. They are helping us out so much. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When we seek wisdom from above, we seek Jesus himself. Jesus Christ is perfect wisdom. And because our issue with speech is a heart issue, this is good news because Jesus can give you a new heart. Jesus intends to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. He begins to put his own spirit within you so that way your words are empowered and controlled by that. You begin to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. When God speaks, he makes life with his words, just like at creation. When God speaks, it actually unites us with him. So that means the speech that comes out of those who have the Holy Spirit, their words bring about harmony and joy and unity. So it is with God. And his perfect speech is given to us to dwell in us. Where earthly wisdom produces strife and sets people apart from one another, God's wisdom leads to harmony and joy. This is who lives in you as a Christian. And there's a quote from William Temple, who's a missionary. And it says that, he says this, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? For those who have true faith, this seed was sown in you. It was sown in you to make you like Jesus, to speak like Jesus. It was sown in you so that you could perpetuate the native language of heaven. It was sown in you to bring about peace and life and not death and destruction. Certainly our speech is powerful. Are you using it in the right way? I mean, think for a moment. Have you ever experienced someone who would speak words that are pure, they're peaceable, they're gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, non-hypocritical words? How did that make you feel? 
Who did it remind you of? It's a glimpse of heaven, a day in which all of our speech will be those things. And since James is, is a call to live our faith out, uh, I, I wanna give a couple points of action uh, that, that you could follow maybe uh, right after this or this coming week and the days to come. The idea of like true faith in your speech. Is there someone coming to mind during this time that you need to sow peace with? And sowing peace may be words of encouragement. Um, it might be that you would verbally acknowledge the good in someone that you would notice something that reminds you of God and you would speak it out loud to them, whether it be a sibling, a friend, a spouse, family member, that you would say, I see this in you and it reminds me of God. Maybe it looks like uh, seeking forgiveness. Maybe it looks like giving forgiveness. Maybe it looks like proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to your family and friends. I think some of the best evangelism that we can do is to actually speak good of others and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just being silent with your tongue. That's more of a word for me. Our tongues determine the outcome of our entire lives, but God empowers us with the spirit to give life with our words rather than death and destruction. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. May your word go forth. May it plant deep in our hearts. May it affect us and change how we live. Shape how we speak, oh God. Forgive us for the times in which we've used our mouths um, in ways that do not honor you. May we be marked as ones uh, who speak life rather than death. In Jesus' name, amen.